What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's Shoreline, where a high school student shares their testimony of God's work in their life, followed by a message which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here, and without further delay, let's tune in. Hello, my name is Chung Lian. I'm a senior at Lake Highlands High School. I have a new life in Christ. I'm a recurring from porn, masturbation, and loneliness. I was born into a Christian household in a village called Shipi, a country in Burma, which is in Southeast Asia. I call this home. I learned about God from my parents and grandparents, but I never had an intimate, personal relationship with him until high school. Life was difficult growing up. In order to escape the corrupt Burmese government, I had to be smuggled into Malaysia, spent the next three years until we fled to the U.S. It was dangerous. We risked being caught, thrown in prison, and it was challenging getting to the U.S. without the ability to speak English. The journey was difficult. It's only by the grace of God that I'm standing before you today. By God's gracious mercy, I was able to grow up in Dallas and really saw how God has changed my life. The beginning of sixth grade, I was introduced to porn by a friend and masturbation followed. I became a slave to my addiction day and night. I, was, I, I would be involved in Sunday school, pretending to be the good kid in front of the teachers, especially to my parents. I was a kid pretending to live for Christ, a hypocrite, acting like my life was perfect, but all the while I was hiding sin and addiction that were ruining my life. I knew I was in a deep hole, but could not find a way out. That small satisfaction and being a slave to this only left me with constant guilt, shame, regret, no joy, and trying to find pleasure in what the world may offer left me lonely. Through it all, I was so broken and never wanting help, even though it was destroying me daily, which affected me greatly because I felt no one was there for me. I eventually cried, broke down many times that night, asking, how can I get out of this? I needed something to fill me. I wanted a savior, but this struggle made me feel hopeless and not worthy of God's love. John 16:24 is a verse that comes to mind when describing what my life was like at this time. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, you will receive, that your joy may be full. After years of brokenness, I was blessed to be invited to a camp called Karakut by my friend Bjork. I had never heard of this camp before, but I decided to say yes and go, to, go just to experience the fun. I had been to many other camps, and all I did was have fun. When I got to Kennecook, everyone was so full of joy, and I thought, what is this? I was in awe of it. I learned who Jesus truly was during my time at camp. I felt my heart seeking Jesus and the true joy he offers. One night through an illustration of Peter, I learned how he rejected Jesus three times, yet Jesus still waited for him to return, loved him no matter what he did. This story hit me that night. Breaking down, I allowed my heart to be fully open, surrendering, sur sur surrendering my life to him. I, I found what I had been longing for all this time. I was reminded of Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, which says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is in rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. I did not pretend to be perfect when I got home, but truly walked in joy and freedom. I found myself starting to surround myself with like-minded people who also wanted Christ above all else. 
I was blessed with a community who pushed me to walk in my faith firmly. In Bible studies, small groups, school, anywhere I was, I was able to walk in freedom and be a light to others. I learned to confess and seek out the door, seek out the Lord daily and realize that those sins that I struggle with only push me away from God. I'm not saying you will be free from all sin. Yes, I still get tempted and mess up, but no matter how many times I fail them, I can rest free knowing that I have people who can keep me accountable and knowing Jesus waits for me, waits for me at the door, calling me his son. This is what the Christian faith is. When we walk with the Lord, we draw closer to him, he becomes our focus. Our hearts long for him, our hearts seek his presence. Our desires to have fellowship with Christ and be like him increases while our worldly desires decreases. So if you are like me, I want you to be reminded of Galatians 5.1, which says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and then do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. How comforting is to have a God like this that sets you free from your sins and offers amazing grace. If you are listening to my stories and can relate to any part of it, I want you to know that whatever you have done in your life that you feel like it is impossible to be set free from, there is a God who is for you and loves you. Open your heart to him and he will give you a true joy like no other. He will set you free and will walk beside you daily. He knows what you're going through and wants you to pursue a personal relationship with him. Instead of pretending like I did and hiding, you can come to him fully knowing he loves you and cares for you. You may fail, but he is there to pick you up. He wants to give you the biggest hug. I'm still counting the blessings God has allowed in my life for coming to the U.S. from Burma to Canada to now. I will finish by reading Hebrews 12:2, which says, Look on, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame, and it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And that is it. Thank you for listening to my story. Amen. All right, guys. Man, welcome to Shoreline. It is so good to be with you. I really mean that. It is truly a gift. In case we've never met before, my name is Luke Barlow. I'm on staff here at Watermark. I get to help with the Shoreline team as well as the Wake team, which is really fun for me. And if you've never been to Shoreline before, what you need to know is that we have been going through a series all year long every time we gather. And that series is called See You at the Shoreline. And what we've been doing is we've been studying some of the stories and the teachings of Jesus that he gave by the shoreline. And so tonight we're going to do the same thing. But before we do that, the truth is most of you don't know me. And so I would love to give you a little bit of my upbringing and my background before I jump into scripture. One, so that you have a better idea of who I am. But two, because I think some of you will relate to me. And my hope and my prayer is that if you do relate to me, that you would lean in and learn from God's word tonight. So what you need to know about me is that I grew up in a small town in North Alabama. And where I grew up, everyone there had two things in common. Everyone claimed to be a Christian and everyone went to church on Sunday. That's just what you did where I was from. And so when I was growing up, that's what I thought it meant to be a Christian. Like, don't get me wrong, I actually knew the gospel. I could have explained to you the reality of my sin and Jesus and who he was and what he did and how faith in him and his work led to life with God. Like, I got that. But my life looked like everyone else's. You see, the truth is, uh, starting when I got to high school, I started struggling with pornography, 
I started to struggle with substance abuse. I started to make sexual mistakes. And I was still going to church. I still knew the gospel. I knew who Jesus was. And yet my life didn't look any different. And so if that's you tonight, maybe you don't struggle with those same things that I struggle with, but maybe you know who Jesus is. Maybe, maybe you follow him and you claim him as your Lord and Savior, but maybe your life doesn't really look that different because of it. And if that's you tonight, man, I have great news because we are going to read a story in the book of Luke about a man whose life was eternally changed by Jesus. And that story is the story of Luke 5, which is when Jesus calls his disciple Peter. And so what I'm going to do tonight is as I read through the passage, I'm going to do it through four points. The first point is just going to kind of be the backstory. That's what I'm going to call it. And then my three points after that are going to be how Jesus gave Peter new sight, how he gave him a new purpose, and how he gave him new life. And while I'm going through these points, I'm also going to give you a couple of reflection questions. And my ask for you guys is that as I ask them, that you would truly ask yourself, man, is is this true of me? So with that being said, I'm going to jump in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, open up, and we're going to get started uh, on the backstory. So here we go, starting in verse 4. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, so we've kind of just jumped into a story, so I need to give you some context. So here's the most important fact about the story that we're reading. Peter already knows who Jesus is. Okay, I don't want you to think that this is the first time that Jesus has ever approached or met Peter. You see, the reality is in the book of John, which is another one of the gospels, in the first chapter, there's a story about Peter's brother, Andrew, who meets Jesus by the Jordan River. And Andrew runs home to Peter, his brother, and says, Peter, we have found the Messiah. You got to come with me, man. We got to go meet him. And so Andrew takes his brother Peter to Jesus. And this is actually where Jesus changes Peter's name. You see, if you read in the Gospels, Peter's name was originally Simon. And your Bible might even actually have Simon in Luke chapter 5. But it's in John 1 where Jesus meets Peter and says, You are Simon, son of Jonah, but from now on you will be called Peter. And so what you need to know is that this is not the same event. This is happening at the Sea of Galilee. And so these are two separate events. Peter is already acquainted with Jesus, okay? But that's not all that's true. You see, Peter also, in some capacity, is also already following Jesus. What does he call Jesus in verse 5? He says, Master, Master, we toiled all night. And then he obeys him. He listens to him, even though that they've been working all night to catch fish and didn't catch anything. Why would he do that? Well, it's really clear in the scripture that Peter, in some capacity, has somewhat started following Jesus. He's given him some level of authority in his life. But the truth is, that presents a problem for us. And here's what the problem is. Peter is still a fisherman. And now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that fishing is wrong by any means. But the problem is that Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus. And so Peter meets Jesus, and he claims to start following him but then he just goes back to being a regular fisherman. Peter's life hasn't changed at all. And he knows Jesus and he's claiming to follow him. And yet his life looks the same. And so here's why I want to stop and ask my first reflection question of you. Are you Peter? Like more specifically, is Jesus master of your life? But does your life still look the same as it did before he was? 
is that you? Is that your story? And what you guys need to know is that that's what my story was. That's what I told you. It wasn't until my freshman year of college that everything changed for me. But up until then, I would have told you, man, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I'm living for Christ. But my life did not look different. And so that was me. And so now that you kind of have the backstory, what I want to do is move into the first point, which is how Jesus gives Peter new sight. So we're going to keep reading, starting in verse 6. So when they had done this, so when they let down the nets, like Jesus said, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And so they came, and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Okay, so we've got to stop. That kind of feels like a weird response. Like Jesus performs this amazing miracle that kind of sets Peter up financially for life. And Peter's response is to fall on his knees and say, depart from me, I'm a sinner. That doesn't really make sense. And so what what you need to understand is that when Jesus performs this miracle, something changes inside of Peter. And the thing that changes is his view of who Jesus is. Okay, you see, up to this point, Peter was following Jesus, but he, but he just thought he was a good teacher. He was like, man, he's kind of wise. He knows the scripture. Like, he's worth following. Like, he's a good guy. He's healed some people. Like, it's pretty nice. Like, he's a decent guy. But the thing is, when Jesus performs this miracle, everything changes for Peter in a moment. He immediately recognizes, man, this is no man. This is the son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the perfect and holy God in flesh standing before me. And the moment that Peter gets it, his response is confession and repentance. Because here's the deal, guys. When we recognize how glorious and holy God truly is, when we see him for all that he truly is, we cannot help but recognize how broken and sinful we are. Okay, that's what happened to Peter. Is He saw Jesus, and in a moment he knew, I I am not worthy to be in this man's presence because this man is God and I am not. I'm broken and I'm sinful and I'm unworthy. Like Peter gets it in a moment. And so this is where I want to pause one more time and ask you another question. Does thinking about God move you to repentance? When you think about who God is, you think about him and his glory and his holiness, but also his love and his mercy and his forgiveness, what does that do for you? What does that do inside of you? Does that move you to a place of worship and awe and reverence? And and does it move you to confess your sin? Or is it just another fact of life? Is it just like, yeah, like God is good and Jesus saved me and all that, and that's great. And then you move on to the next thing. And man, if you are unmoved by the character of God, I think you're in a similar place that Peter was in. And so if that's you tonight, guess what? I've got some more good news because we're going to keep reading and we're going to find out how that changes. Okay, so now we're going to move into the second point. So what you need to know is Jesus has given Peter new sight. Now he sees Jesus for who he truly is and now he's going to give him new purpose. So we're going to keep reading. We're going to read from verse, or in verse 9 and verse 10. He says, for he, who's Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Peter. 
And then here's, here's the kicker. This is how Jesus responds to Peter's repentance and his confession. It says, and Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Okay, another kind of weird response. What's happening here? Okay, well, here's the first thing you need to know. Jesus could have said, you know what, Peter? You're right. You are a sinful man, and you do not deserve to be in my presence. He could have said that, and he would have been right to have said that, but he doesn't. But what Jesus also could have said was, you know what, Peter? I I accept your repentance and your confession, and your sins are forgiven, so go in peace, man. You're good. Just live your life knowing that you're forgiven. He could have said that, but he doesn't. What, What exactly does Jesus say to Peter? Well, let's look back. Well, the first thing he says, which is amazing news, is do not fear. And the reason that that's amazing news is because that means that Jesus has accepted Peter's confession, his repentance. He says, do not fear. Like, there's no judgment or condemnation from me. Like, your sins are forgiven. And we know that this is true because 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's the first thing is that Jesus accepts the confession and repentance. But then what does he say? He says, from now on, you will be catching men. Other gospels say that Jesus said, I will make you a fisher of men, aka you will gather men in my name. And so what you need to recognize is Jesus did not just save Peter from his sins. He saved him to something new. He didn't just say you're forgiven of your sins. He's saying, I am giving you a new purpose. Like, I'm giving you a new calling in your life. And guys, this is the best thing about the Christian life, about following Jesus, that it does not matter what you have done. You are never too broken, too far gone, too messed up, or have done anything too sinful for God, not only to forgive you when you repent of your sin, but to use you. And the greatest testament I have to that is me. Because up until I was a freshman in college, I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to sexual sin. And God in his mercy saved me my freshman year and he revealed himself to me and I repented of my sin. But not only did he save me, now I'm here and I'm teaching you God's word. Like I am not worthy to be here. But God loved me so much that not only did he save me from my sin, he called me to a new purpose. Now I get to share that with you. Like man, what a gift. Like what joy comes from that. And so now I want to stop one more time and ask you another question. Has your life been changed by Jesus? Not just that you've been saved, but but to have a new purpose. Do you have a new purpose in Jesus? Are you living out that new purpose that he's given you? And if you're not, I have more good news. We've got one more verse in the passage, and Peter's going to show us the example of how to start doing that. So to do that, I'm going to move to the last point. So what you need to know so far is that Jesus has given Peter new sight. He's given him eyes to see him for who he truly is, the son of God. He's also given Peter new purpose. He's no longer going to do the things he used to do as a fisherman, but he has a new purpose in Christ to go and to be a fisher of men. And the third thing that Jesus is going to give Peter is he's going to give him a new life. So the question is, how is he going to do that? Let's read in verse 11. This is how it happens. It says, and when they had brought, or when they had brought their boats to land, what does he do? It says that they left everything and followed him. You see, it's like I said, the problem with Peter is that he was still a fisherman. And it's not that being a fisherman was wrong. It's that the problem was all that Peter had done was just add Jesus into his life. 
But the thing is, Jesus has not called you to just add him into your life. Jesus has called you to give your life away. If you are in Christ, Galatians 2.20 says that it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's the problem. That's the thing I think so much of us miss is that we, we know that, that we hear that and we know that, but we don't do it. And here's why. Here's where I think it comes full circle. Because the reality is if you don't know who God is, you will not give your life away to him. Like, think about it. If God is just some distant, powerful, uninterested, divine being, why would you serve him? Like, you won't. And so that's why Jesus had to give Peter new sight and give him a new purpose so that he could abandon his old life and step into his new life. Because if Peter doesn't have new sight, then he's going to forget his purpose and abandon his new life. And the same is true for you. If you don't know and believe who God is, all he is in his mercy and grace and love and power and sovereignty and his purpose for you, if you don't know that and believe it, you won't follow him with your whole life. You just won't. And see, the beauty of this is that a lot of times when I ask students, man, how's your walk with Jesus going? A lot of times the answer I get is like, well, I'm trying to read my Bible more and I'm trying to go to small group and all those things and Those things are great, but hear me say from the stage, that is not the foundation of the Christian life. It's not to read your Bible more. It's not even to sin less. The foundation of the Christian life is to know God. It's to have a relationship, to see him for who he is, and to respond with repentance and purpose and new life. You know, Jesus even said this. He says this in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life. This is it that they would know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life. And so to sum up everything I've said so far, I think this sentence sums it up well. The Christian life is about seeing God for who he is. It's about responding to who he is with repentance to then leave your old life behind and to walk in the new purpose you have in Christ. So man, if you want that, it is yours. It's yours. So now what's going to happen is the band is going to come out and we're going to worship. And while they're coming out and while we're getting ready to worship, I have a challenge for you to stop and ponder in your heart and ask yourself the question, who is God? Who is he to me? Man, who, who, who does he say that he is in his word that would move me to a place of repentance and abandonment of my old life and to step into my new life with Christ? And man, maybe some of you today, you're like, man, I don't know the answer. I don't know who God is. And if that's the case, I have one more piece of good news is that after we worship, Reed is going to come up and he's going to give you a little bit of a taste of who Jesus is. And so get excited about that. So with that, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to give you 30 to 60 seconds. Ponder in your heart, man, who is God? Who is he to you? And how might that move me to follow him? All right. All right, you can take a seat. Can we give it up one more time for Luke and the band? Guys, that was super encouraging. Just for for me even, Luke, you did a great job. I'm I'm so proud of you, man. That was so good. Hey, but guys, like Luke and Jermaine said, my name is Reed Towns. I get the privilege of serving here on staff uh, as a part of our Regeneration for Students program here at Watermark. And if you have been a part of that or if you're in it now, you know that we are pumped and excited about what God is doing in that space. Uh, and we are pumped and excited still more about the future of what he will continue to do in that time. And so 
for this time tonight, what I want you to do is I want you to first ask yourself a question, kind of continuing on with what Luke talked about. I want you to ask yourself a question of where do you find your satisfaction? Where do you find your satisfaction? And do you find it in something that's going to bring you life? Or do you find it in something that's going to bring you death? To help illustrate that, I want to do something that might shock you a little bit. I'm going to teach you a tactic or a skill that I am fairly confident that you will probably never use. I want to teach you a skill or a tactic. Um, I want to teach you the easiest way or the best way, the most efficient way to kill a wolf. Now, I am pretty confident that a lot of you do not come into contact with many wolves, especially here in Dallas, but we want you to be prepared. Uh, that's our motto here. We want you to be known and accepted, taught about wolves, and challenged to kill them. But I'm going to teach you a tactic. This tactic is used in colder climates. It's called the blood knife tactic. And what you do is you take a very, very sharp knife, and you freeze it in a block of blood, basically like a blood popsicle, okay, or with a knife on the inside. And you take this blood popsicle, this blood knife, and you leave it outside at night. And what happens is that the wolves are attracted to the scent of the blood, and they come and they find this blood popsicle or this blood knife. And what they do is they start to lick the blood, the ice that is on the knife. And what happens to their tongue is their tongue, as they're licking this blood, they love the blood, they love the taste, they can smell it, they can taste it, and they're continuing to lick this blood popsicle. And what happens to their tongue is their tongue becomes numb, and they can't feel anything in their tongue, but they can still taste the blood, they can smell the blood, and they like it. And what happens is they get to the center of that blood popsicle, and it starts to cut their tongue, but they can't feel the pain because their tongue is numb, but they can taste the blood, they can smell the blood, but the problem is it becomes their own blood that they're tasting and smelling. And eventually what happens is they bleed out and they die. Pretty crazy. Now you guys know the easiest way or the most efficient way to kill a wolf. So if you ever find yourself up north in the cold or maybe you're Liam Neeson and the movie Frey and you are in a plane crash and you are hunted by wolves, you know how to take care of them. But the reason I tell you this the reason we want you to know this, I want to illustrate that because a lot of times in our life, this can be the, 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 the story of our lives. For me in my life, this is a lot of what my life looked like is I would run after things that I thought would satisfy me, but ultimately bring, bring death to my life, bring this, brought destruction to me uh, and, and hurt me in a lot of ways. For me, it looked like feeling good. Uh, about my life. It looked like success. It looked like attention from girls. It looked like getting a laugh from other people. It looked like making others feel bad about themselves so that I could feel better about me. In high school, I didn't get the attention I wanted for girls from girls, so I ran to pornography because that's where I thought I could get attention because it felt like attention. When someone else in my life got more attention than me, I burned their reputation. Not literally, but physically, I, not physically, but I, I, I spoke about them in a way that was harmful to their reputation. For me, I lied and exaggerated to look better, and I continued to lie more and more because those lies had to cover up other lies so that I would look better and feel better about my life. But what happened is I was left empty. I was left anxious about the future. I was worried I was going to get found out for the fraud that I was, and I was worried about my life. So I continued more and more to chase after these things that ultimately did not satisfy my life. But I thought if I just got a little bit more, if I just got a little bit more, then I'd be good. 
and I'd be covered, then I'd be, I'd be set, I'd be satisfied, I'd be comfortable, and that was it. Just like a wolf that seeks the blood, he was chasing after the blood. He just thought if he get one more lick, if he just get a little bit more blood, he'd be good. And ultimately, he was drinking his own blood, and it was falling out of his mouth, and they died. And for us, that can be our lives as well. But I want you to know today that there is an answer to this. There is an answer to the brokenness and the sin and the emptiness in our lives. That there is a satisfaction that satisfies us, not for just a moment, but for eternity. So if you have your Bibles, guys, I want you to turn with me. I'm going to be in John chapter 6 tonight. Um, And so the context, while you're turning there, the context of this is that Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And there, there's a moment of time a little bit after that that the disciples are, are looking for Jesus. They're trying to find him. They're, they're looking for him. And finally, they find Jesus. And so starting in verse 26, they find Jesus, and they're like, where have you been? We've been looking for you. And Jesus says to them in verse 26, he says, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so the question is, is does, what you're, does what you love, does what you chase after, does it bring peace into your life, or do you want more? Do you need more? Do you feel like you need more to be satisfied? And Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he's saying, hey, you're not, you're not looking to me because you saw great signs, because you believe that I'm God, but you love the bread. You got your fill of the bread, and you want more bread because you think the bread is going to satisfy you. You're here for the free food, basically. And what Jesus is saying to them is that the food that you're looking for, the satisfaction, the momentary satisfaction, is not going to satisfy you. It's going to leave you empty and looking for more. He's saying, don't chase after that food, the bread that you seek. Look after the bread of life that gives you life for eternity, that leaves you satisfied and, and, and full of peace. And so, man, uh, they, he, says, he says, don't run after these things that keep you coming back for more. Uh, and if you're thinking, if you're here sitting tonight and you're thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm already convinced. You don't have to prove that to me. I, I know I've heard that before. Uh, I want those things that satisfy me for eternity. But how? How do I get that? How do I find that? And the thing is, is the disciples ask the same question. In verse 28, they continue on, and they say, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent, uh, who has sent me. You believe in him who he has sent. Excuse me. And again, a lot of times, especially in a setting like this, a lot of believers will say to themselves, I've heard this before. You don't have to convince me, uh, but I've heard this before, but it doesn't always feel like I'm satisfied in the moment. When I chase after God, when I seek the things that God says to seek, when I, when I do good works, when I, I, when I do this, when I come to church, it doesn't always feel satisfying in the moment, and I'm not sure if I can continue to be satisfied this in the future. How do I know that I can be sure that this will satisfy, satisfy me for eternity and not just right now? The question that you would ask, if you're asking that same question, the disciples are actually asking a very similar question. We continue on in verse 30. They say, say, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And Jesus goes deeper in that question. And he says to him, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Now, this can sound like a, a verse in the Bible that we see quite often that it, it's honestly pretty confusing of why would Jesus say this? Why does he take this, this quick left turn out of nowhere talking about manna, talking about our fathers, talking about something that is written? And what we're going to do tonight is I want to show you what that means, what Jesus is talking about. So we're going to go with Jesus on this kind of rabbit trail. We're going to do a hard left turn as well. We're going to Go to Deuteronomy 8. So if you have your Bibles, again, we're going to flip to the front of the Bible to Deuteronomy 8 and look and see what Jesus is talking about. Now, the context for this verse uh, is the Israelites have just come out of the wilderness that are wandering for 40 years. And this was a treacherous, hard time for the Israelites. They were wandering for 40 years. They were, they were starving. They were hungry. They were hurting. It was a tough time for the people of Israel. So in Deuteronomy 8, follow along with me. In verse 2, he says this. He says, um, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. He humbled you, and he let you hunger and fed you with manna that, that he might know, uh, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Now, he's saying Jesus, he allowed, God allowed them to be humbled in this time that they struggled in this hard time so that they would know what's in their heart. Because in those times of struggles, in those times of seeking things, you know what your heart is running after. So that you would be humbled and know that it's not your own strength, but then you would seek and say, what is my heart yearning for? What am I running after? What are the things that I am passionate and love and chasing after? And he continues and he says, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He is saying here that life is more than food. It's more than your momentary satisfaction. It's more than your success. It's more than just bread. It's more than the stuff you have or the things around you. It's more than this. God it continues in the verses talking about these times that Israel spent in the wilderness that God had protected them and he provided for them, that he disciplined them because he's a loving father who disciplines his son so they may be tested and tried and know what's in their heart. In verse 7, he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. He describes that land flowing with water, with wheat, with barley, with vines, figs, pomegranates, olives, honey, all these great things that the people were, were longing for, were searching after. He's bringing you into a good land. There is a promise there from God that there is something good coming. And for our lives, it's, it's the same is true. In verse, seven, verse 11, he continues, and he says, Take care, though. Take care, lest you forget. Verse 12, when you have eaten and you are full, and life goes great, when life is good, when you've got houses, when you've got herds and flocks, and you've got gold and silver, life is good, he says, take care. Take care, lest you forget who brought you into this. Who gives you this life? Who provides for you? Where does it come from? Because it doesn't come from you. It comes from a God that loves you. And so he wants them to remember this. He, he let them hunger so that they may know what's in their heart. He promises to bring them into a good land, and then he reminds them who provides eternal life and not death. In verse 19, he says, If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. And if we run after these things in our lives that don't 
give us eternal life, that give us death. And we run after these things that leave us empty and longing for more. Those things lead to death, just like that knife. If you continue to lick this blood knife, there is death on the inside. It's a trick. There is a catch there. And, we, and, we, and God does not want you to run down that path. And there's a solution there. And so, like I said before, he, he, he allowed them to be humbled so that they would know what's in their heart, to be tested, to trust in the promise that God is bringing us into a good land, and, and to remind you who provides eternal life and not death. And so as we go back to John chapter 6, uh, we'll repeat what he says. He says, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Guys, God provided this time for them. He reminded them that man does not live by bread alone, but let man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's, Jesus used this scripture when he was being tempted by Satan in, in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. Uh, he said Satan tempted him of, of make this rock bread so that you can eat it and be satisfied. And Jesus said to Satan, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Because he knew that life was more than bread, it's more than satisfaction, but it is the word of God that brings life and peace into our lives. As we continue on in verse 32, he says, It was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the, it, we see a really cool thing right here uh, that the disciples look at Jesus and they say, they said to him in verse 34, Sir, give us this bread then. As Jermaine would say, he said, let's get this bread. But the, Israel, uh, the, the disciples say, sir, give us this bread. We want what you're talking about. We want eternal life. We want this peace that you're talking about. And Jesus answers them and he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Imagine that with me. Imagine that. Imagine that your hope is secured, that your future is planned and it's good. Imagine that your heart is satisfied, that the things around you in this world could be shaky. You could get sick. Things could happen to you in your life that would be tough. The whole world could get sick. There could be a pandemic. But you know that your hope is secure, that the things around you are, that don't satisfy you for eternity, that are momentary things, that you don't need to put your hope in those things because they're not worth it. But your hope is secure. Your feet are set. Your future is set and secure, and it is good, and it's from God because you know that your hope and your satisfaction is in a source that is good and it brings life and not death. So for our lives, guys, I love the, the, the song we sang right at the beginning, that I'm fighting a battle that you've already won, that the trials in our lives, the tough parts in our lives, God has already won. There is a hope that is secure and it is set and it is found in the bread of life. And the bread of life is Jesus Christ. 
that you would know him, that you would believe he is good, and that you would trust in him with your entire life. Like Luke said earlier, it would change everything about you. It would change your purpose. It would change your sight. It would change everything. And so, guys, as we pray, um, I want you again to, to consider that question. Where do you find your satisfaction? What are the things that you are running after? Does it bring life or will ultimately will it bring death? Will it leave you empty, longing for more? Or does it satisfy you for eternity? The answer to that is found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And Josh is going to come back up and lead us in one more song of worship. Uh, and then we've got some fun playing for you tonight. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for the answer that you have given our hearts. God, we are created with hearts that, that long for something, that, are, that are, are missing something. God, and the answer to that is you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you that you're a good God that loves his children. You want us to live a life that uh, is full of peace. And hope, God, I pray that tonight as we get to worship, when we would just consider and know that you're a good God that loves us. We continue to rest in the hope that is in Jesus Christ, Lord, the bread of life that satisfies not for a moment but for eternity. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray that we would know you more and we would make you known. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. For more information on Watermark Students, check out watermark.org slash students. And we love you guys so much. We're glad you joined us. We hope you share this episode with a friend. And we'll talk to you next time.